0: Welcome everyone to The Real MVP Episode 1 and I'm your host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Now this is the new podcast series that I've just kicked off. I did a trial run Episode 0 back in December of 2018 and you guys really seem to like it and this is the first official episode, we'll call it, of the new podcast show that I have. Now this is something that I like to do on the side as a compliment to everything that's going on in the world of video games that are important to me as well as things like my YouTube channel and we're also going to talk about what's going on in the homebrew scene that things that I'm interested in but I did mention in the first episode or the 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 episode I released in December episode zero that uh, I will be bringing on some special guests on the podcast and I've got a couple lined up coming up in the next few months so stick around for that I think it'll be a lot of fun to get some different people on the show and I think you'll like some of the guests that I I do bring on the show so you know please let me know what you guys think about it in the reviews and all that that you leave on the uh, different podcast clients that you use but without any further ado let's get into the topics now the first thing i want to talk about is the holidays now i hope everyone had a happy holiday season i certainly did i had about a week off work and i got to play some video games and i'm going to talk about that here shortly but um guys i hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season uh i'm back at work now and you know it always sucks being back at work but uh another year 2019 i think it's going to be a great year for different reasons uh and i'm looking forward to the year and uh, what what comes my way. I think it's going to be a good year, and I hope everyone has a a great year as well. But um, what I wanted to touch on real quick before we get into the topic of video games is the 2018 YouTube year in review now a lot of people have been making review videos on YouTube and I was going to do this myself but I didn't really think it was something that people were that interested in but then I saw a lot of people making you know 2018 summary and year in reviews and I thought well maybe I should have done one myself but the thing is it's now the 8th of January so I've kind of felt like I've missed the window a little bit to do my review but I'm going to talk about Know my year in review here, and give you guys some important stats on how things went on the channel last year. Now, I think everyone can agree that I had a really good year on YouTube last year. It was easily the best year of my career. Now, I've only really been doing it, you know, legitimately. I would say for the last three or four years, but you know, last year 2018 was was a fantastic year. Now, 2017 was really when my channel started to get off the ground especially in the second half and I had a pretty good 2017 but last year was really all about you know knuckling down getting consistency getting views getting subscribers and I really succeeded I think on that front so in the end uh, just some kind of important stats I would say for 2018 I ended up with 11.1 million views in total so that's across all the videos that I released I believe I released 52 videos last year now if you're Call I release every single Monday but there are a couple of you know Mondays where I did not release videos so that's kind of where the gap is there but um, I tried to make a point of releasing every single week and I think I stuck to that pretty much most of the time so 11.1 million views very happy with that I also picked up 101,000 subscribers now that is above and beyond my wildest expectations by far I think at the start of 2018 I was looking at getting 50,000 with a stretch goal of 75,000 but in the end you know we're over 125,000 subscribers and that was something that I'd never even thought was even achievable at the you know the, at the at the level that I was going at at the start of 2018 so that was a very very awesome statistic and there's a lot of people that really really like my channel so that has gone really well for me and, you know, this year, hopefully it will continue to grow as well. Uh, I haven't really sat down and set any goals for 2019, but, you know, certainly I want to get the channel over 200,000 subscribers. I think that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to doing. And hopefully, you know, we can get even beyond that, you know, maybe a quarter of a million subscribers by the end of the year is something that may not be without outside the realm of possibility but we'll see we'll see how it goes but in any case going back to 2018 the last statistic is uh, 62 million minutes of watch time so basically 62 million minutes is the amount of time that people have been watching my video and that is a long long time now I don't know really what to convert that to to make that something that's more understandable by most of us because when we say 62 million minutes I don't know what that really means in terms of the number of years but that's a lot of time a lot of people have been spending a lot of time watching my videos so that's that's pretty awesome so you know I've had a great year last year I've been very very thankful and grateful to the amount of support of you guys jumping on board and subscribing and really giving me positive feedback and comments and just really kind of urging me to to continue to do more and more and do better and better and you know I'm one of those people that I don't like to sit back and and say, yeah, I've done a pretty good job. I'm just going to, you know, chill for a while and just leave it here. I've always been a hard worker and someone that's been raised, w- you know, with that type of mentality where if I'm not working, then I'm, I'm a bum, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything and that's not good. I always have to continue to work and, you know, I, I think that really comes across with my channel and hopefully 2019 will will do bigger and better things and we'll definitely review you know, the end of the year uh, in the last kind of episode of, of this year, um, later in December. So that'll be interesting to go back and, well, that will be interesting to take a look at and and summarize how this year went. But hopefully 2019 will continue the same way 2018 did, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, with YouTube, there's always uncertainty, there's always change, there's always different things that go on in the landscape of YouTube. So we'll see what happens. But right now, I think people are really enjoying the content and, you know, retro games and video games and and tech channels like mine are are something that a lot of people are interested in. And I think that's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger. So hopefully, like I said, we'll, we'll have a good year this year and we'll definitely revisit where we're at later on this year. So the next thing I want to talk about is video games. Now, I did mention the holidays, and if you listen to the first episode of the Real MVP podcast, I was talking about some of the games I wanted to play over the holiday break, and the main one was Red Dead Redemption 2, and I'm happy to report that I did play and finish Red Dead Redemption 2 over the break but I will say I just finished it a few days ago. So Red Dead Redemption 2, for those people that have not played the game, is an absolutely massive game. And it took me a long, long time to beat. But I will say that I, although I really, really liked Red Dead Redemption 2, I do agree with the video game awards that I don't think it was game of the year material. And I do believe that God of War was the game of the year. So I do believe that, the voting on the video game awards for last year was the correct choice. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a brilliant game. Uh, is it a 10 out of 10 game? I don't think so. I really enjoyed the game. I would say it's probably a 9 out of 10. There were some things that really bugged me about the game. And I think, you know, we talk about the length of the game, how big it is and how big the landscape is. And, and that's absolutely true. You know, that the world is very very vast and huge and just such an amazing place to amazing sandbox to play you know a cowboy in and that that was a fantastic experience for me that I really really enjoyed but one thing I will say about Red Dead 2 is I felt like a lot of the time that you spend in the game is riding on your horse to the next waypoint and I do think in some ways the game was artificially padded to make it bigger than what it was now I'm not now I'm not saying that it wasn't many many quests in the game there's a ton of quests and a ton of things to do but I also do feel like a lot of the time you're basically spending writing from one point to the next and in some cases you're writing for like seven or eight minutes and I just felt like a lot of that time is what makes the game so big and I, I do think that it was kind of artificially padded a little bit to to compensate for the time of the game. But I do really enjoy the game and I'm not trying to be critical of it. There are a couple of other things that kind of bugged me a little bit about the game, but in the end, I really enjoyed it very, very much. and I'm happy that I played it and finished it but I also have a backlog of other games that I'm wanting to get my teeth into so I am glad that I have finished the game and I'm I'm kind of moving on to the next thing because you know January is a very big month for video games we've got Resident Evil 2 remake of course which is coming out later on in January which is one that is on my pre-order list and I can't wait to play that game but there's also Kingdom Hearts 3 which is a very big game as well and my other game that I'm going to pick up for January is Ace Combat 7 on the PlayStation 4 and hopefully the VR mode will be a good one too. So I am glad that I did get Red Dead 2 out of the way and now we can start playing some some other games that are on my backlog as well as games that are coming out in January. Since we're on the topic of Red Dead Redemption 2, I want to talk about Red Dead Redemption 1 and why it's not on the PC. Now one of the Biggest mysteries is why there was never a port of Red Dead 1 onto the PC. And I think there was... I don't know if there was an official statement by Rockstar at all, but there was a lot of stories and a lot of news articles that basically came out and said that the game was so poorly coded that to port it to the PC was impossible and it would take so much time. Now, as someone who's a developer... I don't I don't subscribe to this, you know, opinion because I think if the developers or if Rockstar really wanted to port Red Dead 1 to the PC, they could have done it by now and it would already have been released. Now, I do agree that, you know, poor code is is something when it comes to refactoring code and making it work on another system. There's definitely time and effort that is required, but I always thought about this in a way that maybe, maybe I'm just oversimplifying this, but look, if you've got a game that runs on the 360 and it runs on a PS3, then there should be a way to get it to work on an x86 or an x64 Windows-based machine. Now, at the end of the day, I think if Rockstar basically set up a team, a fairly small team, let's say of five developers, five to ten developers, and they said, okay, Development team, your job is to get Red Dead 1 running on the PC, then I think that it's probably no more than a 12 month undertaking, probably even less. And so I I do think that Rockstar just kind of sat on Red Dead 1, and now, you know, so much time has passed, I don't think we'll ever see it on the PC. But I do think that the opinions and the comments that were made that it was too difficult to do or it was poorly coded were a little incorrect or just not right. And, you know, when I read those reports or read those articles, I just kind of called bullshit on it because I didn't think that was something that was a real kind of response. It sounded more like, you know, PR fluff or something. But it is a shame that we haven't seen Red Dead 1 on the PC. And I do think unless source code is completely lost, you know, we've heard stories about older games, you know, from like fifth generation that has source code that's gone missing or it's just gone. But I think if source code still exists out there, then there's no reason why it can't be ported to another system. And it's as simple as that. You know, being poorly coded is really no excuse because there's always a way to get source code, if you have source code, to build on another platform. So I do think that Red Dead 1 should be available on the PC, but unfortunately, at least in an official sense, it's not. But the good news is, and this kind of gets into the next topic, is there is ways to run Red Dead Redemption 1 on your PC, and that's via emulation. Now, the RPCS3 PlayStation 3 emulator has been around for a while, but the good news is it's recently been updated, and now Red Dead Redemption 1 is... Is playable albeit on a fairly high spec pc on your windows machine and that's awesome because emulation wasn't always meant to be the savior of digital or lost you know games that or, or games that never would come out on on a system because of different reasons but here we are you know in 2019 with an emulator basically allowing you to play Red Dead Redemption 1 on a PC. So all of a sudden, you know, emulation isn't this bad word or this bad or has has these bad connotations about software piracy. All of a sudden, emulation is like the savior of video games because it's going to be the only way that we can run Red Dead Redemption 1 on a PC, which is a port that people have been asking for for years and years and years. And the cool part is, you know, RPCS3 and Xenia, the Xbox 360 emulator, and I think it's only a matter of time before Xenia and RPCS3 that Red Dead Redemption 1 is fully playable. And, you know, when that day comes, it's going to be awesome because emulation authors that have spent thousands and thousands of hours, you know, learning about the target hardware and trying to figure out ways to emulate this hardware on a PC all of a sudden have these games running on a pc that really had no business running on a pc in the first place so you know my hat is off to those guys you guys are doing an amazing job and you know i can't wait to see red dead redemption 1 running on a pc at 60 frames per second you know at 4k resolution because that's going to be a really good day now i know you can play red dead one on an xbox one x which is essentially the same thing i mean if you really think about it it's an x64 based system and you know there's an emulation layer so it's really not that much different than a pc but having the ability to run it on a pc albeit through emulation is the best possible option we can get to this day and i really do think that you know emulation is going from strength to strength you know it's it's gone to another place over the last few years because a few years ago you know the big things that we were talking about was you know PlayStation 2 emulation, Dreamcast emulation, uh, 3DS emulation was obviously good as well and and SEMU the the Wii U emulator was was released but it wasn't performing that well it was more of a proof of concept at that point but you know SEMU now in 2019 Xenia and RPCS3 all of those emulators are running very, very well and looking really good. And I think there's going to be so much cool stuff that that all three of those emulators continue to come out with over the course of this year and beyond. So did you guys know that I am in a book? This is something that someone on my Twitter feed alerted me to. So as you guys know, I have developed Homebrew for different console systems over many, many years, you know, starting out with the OG Xbox in the early 2000s then I moved over to the Sony PSP for a couple of years that was kind of fun but it got a little boring and I kind of moved on from there and then I moved on to the Xbox 360 and the Sony PlayStation 3 before you know taking a bit of a break because I wasn't really too interested in PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and now obviously in the last kind of 12 months with the Nintendo Switch but You know, one thing that I've always done is uh, like to work on software ports, as you guys know. And one of my earliest ports on the original Xbox was Doom. So I released Doom X, which was one of my first ever homebrew ports to the Xbox 360. And I've actually ported Doom to quite a few different systems since then. So I've got the OG Xbox has a port of Doom. I've obviously ported it to the Nintendo Switch. But I also ported it to the Sony PSP and the Doom PSP homebrew that you may find out in the wild is my original port of Doom to the PSP. So I've always loved porting Doom to the different systems because, number one, you know every, every target hardware has to have Doom running on it. It's like a rite of passage that if there's some new hardware that's been released, then Doom has to run on it. It's just the way it is. It's just the law of the land. So that's really cool. But, you know, the other thing is the source code is so clean and simple to use, and it's so easy to understand and learn. It's one of the best ways to learn about porting games to different hardware. You know, take a copy of the source code of Doom and start looking at it and then start compiling it. And then once you kind of start compiling it and getting it to run, then you start tweaking around with different things because it's it's so kind of intuitive and easy to understand. It's very, very well documented. So going back to what I was talking about, a gentleman by the name of Fabian Sanglard has released a book called The Game Engine Black Book of Doom. And this book is awesome. It basically talks about the history of Doom and it talks about the technical side of the Doom source code as well. And it's basically an extensive descriptions and drawings to better understand the challenges ID software had to overcome to develop the game Doom back in the day, you know, in 1993. So this is an awesome, awesome book. It also talks about the different hardware that Doom runs on, everything from, you know, the Intel 486 to the Motorola, you know, uh, 68040 CPUs, as well as the Sega Saturn port and the different ports to different systems. There's also some stuff about the 3DO versions and all the other ports that were available for Doom. And it's just like the kind of comprehensive book about doom it it talks to you about everything i'm kind of flicking through it right now um, you know talks about the 3d renderer that was built uh, talks about the 2d renderer that's that's also in there as well um, talks about the sprites the ai the map intelligence uh, the networking code that was in there the performance um, the different ports as mentioned you know the atari jaguar is another one that i didn't didn't touch on just before there's also the 32x sega port as well and these are all the official ports i'm talking about so there's really no mention of the i guess the homebrew ports that were released but there's also the super nintendo port that obviously used the super FX chip that uh, randy linden had ported over to the uh, super nes console so that was pretty cool as well and then there's also um, talk about the playstation 1 port too so you know, there's so much information in this book and I will leave a link in the show notes below if you are interested in taking a look at the book, at least just, you know, flicking through it on Amazon to get a a feel for the first, you know, 10 or so pages or whatever they let you preview. But in any case, you know, going back to my original kind of tweet that I was talking about, I got this tweet from um, someone that subscribed to me on YouTube and he said, hey, just want to let you know that you got to mention In this book, Game Engine Black Book, Doom by Fabian Sanglard, first edition. I got a mention in it. I'm like, what? What the hell? You know, how did I get a mention in this book? And uh, I basically kind of asked him, I said, you know, can you tell me what it says and what's it about? And basically on, if you you flick over to page 158, I believe, and I'm just flicking through it right now. So, you know, I'm just kind of getting to that page uh 158 at the bottom of 158 it says i ported doom to the nintendo switch in 45 minutes by modern vintage gamer on youtube.com which is awesome you know i got a small little mention in this book about doom which is so cool because you know i've been a doom, i've been a doom fan since the start and as mentioned i've ported doom to so many different systems albeit on a homebrew level so again this book wasn't really talking about the homebrew stuff as much as the official ports but it was really cool that i got a mention in this book even though it's just you know on the bottom of the page but it's so cool that I'll, it was recognized that uh, my doom port to the switch was was talked about and i think it goes back to as mentioned how easy and clean the doom source code is and how portable it is to get it onto other systems i was really grateful and happy that i was in this book and it was definitely not something that i was expecting to happen but uh, it's so cool that i'm in this book and i will leave a link in the show notes below about this book it's so awesome if you guys are into doom and you want to read more about the Doom Engine, and the game itself. you got to pick up this book. And incidentally, this book by uh, Fabian uh, Sanglard, this is his second book that he's developed. And the first book was all about Wolfenstein 3D. So he's really good at making these types of books. And I want to see him do more, and I know that, you know he's probably going to work on different books uh, going forward. I think there's probably a, a Duke Nukem 3D one that's going to come out too, because I know he's done some you know papers and blog posts about the engine of uh, Duke Nukem 3D, the build engine. So, yeah, check out this book; it's really awesome. And you know, if you have any interest in Doom at all. You know definitely check the book out not not just because I'm in it I mean like I said, I'm only in it for you know a, a mention at the bottom of a particular page, but it's so cool that I'm in this book, and uh I've been reading through this book and it's one of the books I got for for Christmas, and I just really, really enjoy it so check it out if you are interested, if you love Doom, then I would say pick it up. It's the best kind of companion you can get if you are a big fan of the the Doom series. I get a lot of questions about what's next for me on the homebrew stuff. What's happening with Nintendo Switch? Are you looking at the PlayStation 4? What are you working on right now? And the you know the answer to that is uh, I'm still definitely involved and interested in the Nintendo Switch, but you know to be 100% transparent with you guys, Nintendo has been coming down hard on some YouTube channels that have been talking about the Switch at least from a modding perspective. And although I don't believe it would impact my channel as far as the homebrew stuff, it's also something that I'm not really willing to take a chance on. And, you know, to be more specific, um, someone called Skeletor NZ, you guys may know who that is. He does, or he did, I should say, a lot of different Switch modding videos and um, Team Executor SXOS videos and stuff like that, how to install um, the, you know, RCM glitch and and all these different types of videos to show you how to get homebrew installed and how to mod your Nintendo Switch. His channel got taken down. So he got 3 separate copyright strikes and his channel was terminated. And this was a result of the videos that he had put out. Now, again, my particular content doesn't really 100% align with his content. But it all kind of fits within the same kind of cloud or the same, you know, big kind of overarching thing and that is Nintendo Switch hacking or Nintendo Switch modding. Even though, you know, I'm more interested in the homebrew stuff versus, you know, the team executor mods chips and stuff like that. I don't really care about that stuff as much. But I just felt like at this point in time, it's probably better just to kind of lay low for a little while and just kind of wait and see what happens next so i think right now nintendo seems like they're going after the modding community so you know i definitely don't want to uh attract their attention and you know as someone who is you know i mean let's be honest i'm not a a huge youtuber but i'm bigger than the kind of average person and i've probably got enough you know popularity and clout to attract their attention you know it's definitely something that i'm not interested in doing at this point in time but that's not to say that i'm not working on things you know in my spare time there are a couple of ports that i'm working on right now and um, none of them i'm ready to reveal quite yet but you know the short answer is yes i am continuing to work on the nintendo switch i mean you know it's one of those systems that i've been waiting for a long long time and it's it's almost like a piece of gold being put in your hand you know for free basically saying here is this system that you've always wanted to have and oh by the way it's easily modded and also there's a really awesome homebrew development kit you can use to build your own games and build whatever you want so you know it's definitely something that i'm very much a part of and interested in and that's not going to change anytime soon now the other system that i'm really starting to get interested in is the playstation 4 now the playstation 4 has had exploits especially if you're running the you know 5.05 firmware there are ways to exploit the playstation 4 but i've always kind of just been sitting back and, and waiting to see what what happens there but all of a sudden within the last i'll say three months or so there's been a lot of homebrew that's starting to be released for the system, which means more and more people are getting into the PlayStation 4 homebrew and emulator scene. So, we're seeing things like Retro Arch being developed for the PlayStation 4 right now. And, you know, when I see Retro Arch come out for a new system, then that's when I get interested because that tells me that, you know, number one, Retro Arch can run on the system. And I'm not saying that from a, from a, performance perspective obviously the PlayStation 4 is more than capable of running RetroArch and you would think it would be able to run it exceptionally well by the way and we'll get to that here in a second but what I mean is that the development tools the homebrew development tools are complete enough to compile and run RetroArch on and when you know I see a port of RetroArch come to a new system that kind of tells me that unless they're using the official SDK which I'm you know, 99.9% that is not the case. Um, you know, they're using the kind of open source homebrew development tools, which means that it's feature complete enough to run emulation. And when I see that happen, that's when I, you know, get interested. So I am starting to look at the PlayStation 4. I do have a 5.05 firmware PS4 that I will be using to do my development on, but I also will say that the current level of documentation and guides for developing homebrew on the ps4 is kind of all over the place i mean you know i've been kind of looking at videos on youtube and looking at reddit pages and and wiki and there's all sorts of different information and to be honest i'm a little bit lost as to what the right approach is you know what i'm really looking for is something very similar to the switch you know dev pro stuff where it's one installer and one page that basically is updated all the time and shows you a, basically a cheat sheet on how to set up a, de- a development environment. And unfortunately, you know, there's quite a bit that needs to be done there. But even with that said, the PlayStation 4 Homebrew is very interesting to me because it's really one of the systems that has so much power and potential that it could be one of the best systems ever to run emulators and i'm not talking about just the traditional 16-bit and 32-bit emulators i'm talking about things like you know good playstation 2 emulation good dreamcast emulation dolphin you know gamecube nintendo wii i mean there is a lot of possibilities here and i think that if the, the the scene for the playstation 4 really takes off it could be It could be huge so you know there's definitely things that are interesting to me with the PlayStation 4 and you know here's me basically putting my hand up saying yes I am interested I'm going to start taking a look at it I already have something that I want to port over to the PS4 and no it's not Doom although it probably does need a Doom port you know maybe something that I do uh, look at doing at some point but I have a particular thing in mind it's not postal either uh, even though uh, i 'd love to port postal to the PlayStation four, I think that'd be cool, I have another project that 's I have in mind and it 's something that will really show me the um, how powerful the PlayStation four is you know at least with the homebrew development environment in mind so we 'll see how it goes you know there 's definitely more to come here, and you know you guys know me that uh, if i 've got something that 's coming out on the homebrew front, then uh, you 'll certainly know about it either on my Twitter page or I'll make a video on it or you'll hear it here as well. So just kind of keep following me on the different social medias and um, I'm sure you'll see some PS4 updates coming from myself here in the next couple of months. But yeah, I'm very much interested in getting my feet wet in the PlayStation 4 scene and it's something that I've, like I said, I've been sitting on the sidelines watching and I think now is the right time to, to get get my feet wet and take a look closer and see what it's capable of I want to touch on growing as a youtuber now I get asked a lot how how do you grow your YouTube channel you know what what were the things that you did to to really kind of take your channel to the next level and you know some of the things that that I'll, I'll talk about you know I don't really want to talk about because they're they're fairly common and, and fairly obvious you know that hey you know if you stick to a schedule And you you do these things, then, you know, you'll you'll get growth on your channel. But I think one of the things that is one of the most important factors of growing your YouTube channel, and this one may sound a little strange, but this is one that I firmly believe in. And I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about, is you need to find your audience. And that may sound a little strange. So let me kind of walk you through you know 2017 with you guys a little and and kind of make you understand you know what I'm what I'm talking about hopefully this will this will make sense but finding your audience is the biggest single thing that you can do to grow your brand on YouTube if you don't find your audience on YouTube then you will not succeed as a YouTuber. And many, many people, the majority of people that start YouTube channels never find out who their audience is. And they just pack it up and say it's too hard or it's not making them any money. And then they just move on and do something else. But those people that do find their audience are the ones that ultimately will stick around and become successful on the platform. Now, when I say successful, I'm not saying making a million dollars or getting a million subscribers. I mean, getting to the next level, you know, getting to the the next kind of milestone that they're looking for. In other words, you know, maybe it's 10,000 subscribers, or maybe it's um, a million views on a video or whatever, you know, it's, it's just something that is kind of, a measurable but but not I'm not saying success as in you know rich and famous or or anything like that because no one except for the top 0.001% of YouTubers become millionaires on the platform there's just no way but you know going back to what I'm talking about let me give you a kind of real world example and the only thing that I can talk about is kind of my path so in 2017 around the middle of the year Uh, I was sitting at about, uh, I think about 5,000 subscribers and I was doing pretty, pretty okay. You know, I was releasing Amiga related videos and retro stuff. I I did a video on the Atari 800 that did really well. At least back then it was like, got me 10,000 views and I was doing some Commodore 64 stuff and, you know, I was doing, I was doing good. You know, I was definitely, getting getting uh, a bigger and bigger audience but my growth was not you know that that rapid by any by any stretch of the imagination you know I was looking at my competition and other people around me and they were growing a lot faster than me and you know I'm sitting here at about five to six thousand subs and I'm thinking to myself yeah I'm doing pretty good but you know it's it's not really something that's that's like astronomical as far as growth you know um A lot of people have really good months on YouTube where they'll have one month where everything just kind of changes and you know they'll get a huge amount of subscribers and views more and more than they've ever gotten before. And it's really up to them to figure out how to continue doing that over time. A lot of people will have a good month on YouTube, but then their views and subs just kind of fall off the following month back to where it was, you know, before that. But in any case, I'm kind of rambling here a bit, but let let me kind of talk to you about my example. So in October of 2017, I'm sitting at about 6,500 subscribers. And I was working on a video that was really something that was more of a passion project for me. And that was the original Xbox is still awesome in 2017 video. Now, what actually happened here was I ended up finding a cheap, unopened untouched original xbox from craigslist and i bought it and i thought to myself you know what i'm going to make a video on this i'm going to take this xbox home i'm going to soft mod it i'm going to open it up i'm going to you know get the clock capacitor out because every single original xbox that's out there needs the clock capacitor removed and i'm going to you know t sop mod it and basically loaded up with all my favorite homebrew and emulators, and I'm going to make a video on this. And I remember when I made this video, I thought to myself, "What am I doing? You know, w- what is this video that I'm making? This is this is something that's like something that I care about, but I don't think anyone else in the world gives two shits about this anymore. You know, this is this is a system that's 16 years old that no one gives a fuck about anymore, and I must be the only one that cares about this stuff and I remember and I'm not I'm not kidding guys the night before I was about to release this video I was agonizing whether I should release this I mean I was hovering the mouse over the delete button because I thought this was the dumbest video that I had ever done because it was a little different than everything else I'd done in the past. So I also kind of felt like I'm probably going to lose subscribers because no one cares about this stuff. This is not something that I do. You know, I'm I'm the Amiga guy. I'm the, the 8 and 16-bit computer guy. So why am I doing a video on the original Xbox? It's a little out of, you know, the wheelhouse of videos that I'd done previously. But I thought, you know what, fuck it. I love the original Xbox. It's my favorite, favorite system, my favorite console that, you know, you guys know that, and I have such a history with the machine from both a consumer level and, you know, a homebrew developer, and obviously the emulation stuff that I've done, that I just want to talk about it, because I love this console. I I released the video. Obviously, I had no idea the amount of response that I would get from that video, and, you know, that video I mean, I wouldn't say it went viral because viral, you know, means you get like a million views in a couple of hours or something. But I ended up getting over a million views on that video in time. For a long time, that was my most successful video. I just want you guys to remember that, you know, I wasn't even going to release this video. And I'm not saying that, you know, to sound, you know, um, dramatic or anything, because I literally was agonizing over this video. And I remember when I released it and I got so much feedback from people from you guys that said oh my god i love this system i love these emulators you know i love the homebrew xbox media center hell yeah i love that stuff are you kidding me halo i used to play that with my buddies every single day that's when i realized i had found my target audience i had found my audience and at that point i knew what my audience was looking for and since then i've never really deviated from that And for the most part, it's been very successful for me. Now, there's been a couple of times where I've released videos that have kind of deviated a little bit away from that, and sometimes they've worked and sometimes they haven't. But, you know, once I released that video, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew who my audience was. And now, look, you could say that a lot of these people weren't even subscribers of yours, but it doesn't matter because these people were the ones that, you know, watched this video and felt connected to the original Xbox the same way that I did that they were compelled to basically jump on board and subscribe so at that point I realized that this was my audience and ever since then you guys are the people that I've catered for and I've always wanted to just get more and more stuff out there so you know I I really do believe that finding your audience is the number one most important thing you know people like I said people say you know schedule is important and consistency and yes those things are absolutely important to do but if you don't have an audience to present that information to then no one's going to be watching you even if you do it week in week out so i really do think that you know it's important that you do find your audience and it's one of the hardest things that you can do as a youtuber it took me years to figure it out it took me literally years to figure it out and some people figure it out a lot faster and some people, like I said, never figure it out at all. And they just give up and say it's it's too hard or this is not for me or they'd just rather stream on Twitch or something. And that's cool. But, you know, I, I do want to stress that, you know, finding who your target audience is or finding your audience is absolutely the most important thing you can do when you're starting out a YouTube channel and trying to figure out, you know, uh, who you are and, and what you're trying to accomplish on YouTube you may have noticed the artwork and rebranding that I've done in 2019 I did put out a Twitter uh, blast asking if anyone could help me with some artwork, and I got a lot of positive responses and a lot of people coming back to me saying yes I can help with that so I settled on a particular artist that has done an awesome job really changing my logo and getting something that I'm very very happy with in 2017 and 2018 The particular artwork that I had I I liked it quite a bit but it was that red you know power switch type of icon that I had that was kind of cool but I will also say that there are other YouTube channels that have the same icon as their avatar albeit with a different color so I really wanted to move away from that type of artwork or that that type of you know design onto something that's more unique to me and and my channel so this is you know the the logo that I have now is more of a retro wave synth wave whatever you want to call it vibe it's got a a modern kind of demo party feel to it as well as an old school vibe as well so yeah look I think it's turned out really well I'm very very happy and pleased with the way it's turned out and yeah I mean um, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes below of the dude's Twitter handle. If you are interested in artwork and, and by the way, I'm not um, being, you know, asked to to give him a plug on this podcast. I just thought he did a really good job and, you know, he deserves uh, more work. If there's anyone interested in getting some artwork done, then, you know, hit him up. He can definitely help you out, but I will leave a link in the show notes below. So check him out. If you are interested in artwork for your channel or for, or, or for your brand, He's done an awesome job with with my stuff and I just want to pass on the love to anyone else that may be interested. Well, that will just about do it for episode one of The Real MVP Podcast. But before I go, I do have a housekeeping item. I do have a Patreon page and for as little as a dollar a month, you can get signed up to the Patreon page. I will leave a link in the show notes below, but of course you are not obligated to Sign up on Patreon. Everyone receives the same level of access like they always have. And that's something I've always believed in. But I do want to talk about some of the incentives that are going on on Patreon right now. And that is I'm giving away three different systems. I'm giving away a modded GameCube a PlayStation Classic and a C64 Mini to anyone that's in the $5 Patreon tier or higher. So there are incentives for you guys to get signed up and you know for me to give back to you guys because you know without you guys none of this would be possible. I really want to show my appreciation to everyone that's been supporting me over the years on YouTube as well as this podcast. So get signed up if you are interested. There are some cool giveaways that are going on but i also do want to mention uh regular giveaways there are some regular giveaways that i'll be doing over the course of this year on youtube so there'll be more xbox originals being given away i talked about an original modded gamecube that's being Uh, In the works right now, so there are some cool things that I want to start giving away to you guys because a lot of these things uh, I do pick up for review on the channel and then they just kind of sit around at, at home doing nothing. So, again, it's a good way to give back to you guys and really say thank you for supporting my channel over the years. This was episode one of The Real MVP, and I'm your host, Modern Vintage Gamer. You can find me on Twitter at Modern Vintage G or on other social media at Modern Vintage Gamer. We're going to leave it here, guys. Don't forget to leave a review of the show and let me know what you thought about it thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you guys in the next podcast bye for now